Hey, uh, and welcome to episode three of the Tata Cancer podcast. Um, we are going to be talking with Carrie Anderson, who's a fellow breast cancer survivor, so we can hear her story. And I really think you're going to enjoy it. I had such an awesome time talking with her. Um, I hope you are surviving the holidays. We are coming down the home stretch here on the air date. We are <laughs> about to hit, go into the New Year's Eve holiday and then kind of just wrap this this whole thing up, this 2021 holiday season. So uh, I hope you are having a good time so far and let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Okay, so today I am super duper excited to welcome Carrie Anderson, um, a wonderful woman that I know, a breast cancer survivor, and we are going to talk about Carrie's experience and uh, yeah, just have a have a good conversation. So hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank <laughs> you for having me. This is like so exciting. Yay. Well, I will tell you that you are my very first podcast guest. You are the inaugural guest. So honor. Thank you. I'm honored to have you here. And uh, I feel like I have to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Salome, yes. who I'm sure will be listening to this. So hi, Salome. Thanks for introducing us. We love you. Hi, Salome. I love you, dear. I know, you know, she's laughing right now. You know, she's laughing loud. <laughs> yeah, laughing loud. But you okay. know, all love. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to kind of jump into these questions. Mm -hmm. And um, so what age were you when you were diagnosed? Because it, it's been how many years? It's been five years and okay. I'm 45 now. So I was actually diagnosed at 40. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So, so young, relatively young for the diagnosis. And did you find your cancer by yourself or how did they find that? So it's, it's, it's crazy. So I found my lump actually the December. So my birthday's in March. So I found the lump when I was 39 in December mm -hmm. and I found it and I panicked and I had my mom felt it, feel it. And so I called my doctor right away, made an appointment, but mm -hmm. then it felt like as time went on, it felt like it was still there, but it was fluctuating. So it wasn't like, you know, mm -hmm. like when my cycles it would go up and down, but it was still there. So I didn't worry mm -hmm. about it. But uh, um, because I turned 40 in March, I scheduled my mammogram in April. So mm -hmm. um, when I scheduled my mammogram in April, of course, they were just like, yeah, they talked about the lump. It was suspicious. Then they, you know, I went through the process of the um, ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And then the biopsy. So yes. 
They so when you found the lump, I mean, were you doing a self exam or were you yes. just doing something? Okay, so I was doing a self exam. That. Yeah, I was kind of good in in the shower. I was mm-hmm. actually in the shower when I found it. Mm-hmm. Taking my routine was... morning shower. Okay, that's that's good. I am like I was so not good. I'm still not very good about doing the self exams. Um, but yeah. And so when you found it and you called the doctor, they didn't immediately do testing on you. Well, he told me to come in like they did an immediate appointment, but mm-hmm. because of my attitude about it, they were just like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, like if you don't feel like you need to come, then, you know, you know, mm-hmm. they gave me my autonomy um, with that. And, okay. and it's crazy. Cause I found it like it was around the holidays um, to be honest, like the day after Christmas or something like that. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that must be a hard time to kind of try to wrap your head around something like that because you mm-hmm. were so busy with family and doing stuff and things. I just feel like even if you're, you don't celebrate Christmas, life just seems crazy in December. That, <laughs> and even with the doctor's offices, because you know, it's the holidays, oh, right is off, you know, they have Christmas, New Year's, and then also I was going out of town. So, you Mm -hmm. know, just like, okay, I wasn't Mm -hmm. worried. I wasn't in no pain or nothing. So I was just like, Mm -hmm. well, I I was just like, and I got back and I told the doctor, ah, you know, Mm -hmm. it it seems to be fluctuating. So, well, how long was it until they actually did those, like the ultrasound? Like what month was that? So once I got my mammogram, everything Mm -hmm. went quickly. Yeah. Everything. Like I got my mammogram April 1st, um, then found some suspicion, probably had my ultrasound a week after that. So it's just know that mm-hmm. between April 1st and April 1st, my mammogram, I got officially diagnosed. I got the call probably like April 14th. And in yeah. between that was mammogram, ultrasound and biopsy. So that's pretty like back to back to back. They were pretty fast. And, um, did you feel anything? Did you feel off when you found the lump? I mean, did you have any symptoms at all? Mm -mm, I had no symptoms, none, none. And, and, and it's crazy because our oncologist said that's how it's happened. And then of course I Googled and they were saying like, you know, Google is like the devil. Some it's a gift in the right. Place. And but they tell you when not it comes to, Google, to medical, but you can't not do it. Can, yeah, <laughs> especially as the weekend is at night, you can't get to oh, the doctor. No. So you're just trying to figure out what stuff. But um, they say, like when I read, it's just like it typically doesn't hurt early. Like yeah, it, it hurts if it's a cyst early, but you know, like if it's a tumor, it doesn't. So I was just like. Right. I think that's, that's an interesting thing. That's kind of counterintuitive, right? You're like, this is so serious. And I remember with me, I was feeling so good, like around when I, yeah. So I'm curious. That's interesting. I think. And, and, uh, so you, your breast cancer is triple negative, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they say the most aggressive, well, very, I don't know the most, but very aggressive. I can't say what's the most. Yeah. And, and you don't have any family history. So I do, but they said my breast cancer has nothing to do with that. Like, you know, Uh you do the genetic testing, like my um, paternal aunt and great aunt both had breast cancer, both survivors though. Um, Like my great aunt had it around my age and she's in her eighties now. So never come back. No, but I heard she had breast cancer 
and colon cancer, but she's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same for my aunt. My aunt is deceased, but it's not from cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so they both said, all right, but yeah, when I took the genetic test, they said it has nothing to, like triple negative. It's just like, that's for me, it's just sometimes just appear because I know it is some genetic implications for others, but for me, it wasn't. Yeah. That's another interesting fact about breast cancer that I don't think a lot of people know is that the majority of cancer is not genetic. That's exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that there's certain parts, especially we're both from California, we both live in California. You're from California, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. So there's like in Marin or Ventura, have you ever heard that, that there's like really, really high rates of breast cancer. And mm. I think Marin might be the highest rate of breast cancer in the world, which wow. to me is very suspicious Definitely. and, and um, you know, I feel like in my research, I feel like there's a lot, a lot has to do with the environmental factors. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like, and we're going to talk about that later or, mm-hmm. you know, touch upon it later, but definitely the environmental factors. And then, you know, as we get further away from nature, you know, it's like mm-hmm. everything is genetically modified. Even they try to make mm-hmm. healthy stuff genetically modified and our, oh, our, sure. our genes, you know, and all that. So I definitely think it's like pretty much the um, industrial lit way of living is mm-hmm. a big contributing factor to, you know, yeah. the rise in cancer in general, but breast cancer too. Yeah. I think, you know, with my cancer, it was all hormonally driven. Mm -hmm. And I, when I started to look at just how many hormone disruptors we encounter on a daily basis, it was, it was really quite scary. And it's something we'll be talking about on the podcast, but, um, my boyfriend and my sister was with me. Um, mm -hmm. so thank God they were. Cause I think I was like, I remember going to the doctor and like my anxiety was so high. My blood pressure was so high. Like yeah. they was even saying, calm down. Like, you know, cause <laughs> it, and it was, it, I don't think it appeared on my face, but when they take my vitals, like my blood pressure and stuff, that's, yeah. you know, how they was able to tell. Um, but, and I think I kind of like, um, zoned out a little bit. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. they're telling you all these terms and they're over my head and da, 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 da. <laughs> And I just wanted to know, okay, what's my chances of living? Because, you know, you're mm-hmm. cancer no matter what, you know. And just the, before I even like met with her, I, like, I was looking up because um, I got the test results because I'm with UCLA and you could look up my chart. So I looked up the test results and I looked up the size and stuff. So I knew it was stage one by the size from what I, oh, you know, I researched. they told you, oh, because of the ultrasound, they were able to estimate. Sure. Uh-huh. The ultrasound and after the biopsy, you know, they were able right. to, um, measure. you know, um, or the type or whatever. So I looked all, all that and just saw the meaning of it. So I knew it was mm-hmm. stage one before, but the, um, yeah, the oncologist confirmed it. So yeah, she was telling me all this and saying, you might have to have chemo, you might not. But one thing she did say, she was just like, um, we are going to cure you. Mm. Wow. She said, you, you will be cured. Um, and that was just like, that was very hopeful. Um, mm-hmm. And because, you know, it's stage one, so it's 98% survival rate. But she said, you are right. going to be cured. So I was just like, that put me at ease a little bit. Uh-huh. And then... Like we're there and she was the surgeon too. And we scheduled my surgery right there at my first appointment. So wow. it was fast. Scheduled my surgery at my um, 
chest x-rays done. So when I scheduled my surgery, my surgery was scheduled for three weeks after my oh. first appointment with the surgical, you know, surgical oncologist. So I want to just go back like a tiny, tiny bit, just because mm-hmm. I think about, I think about that moment when you first hear you have mm-hmm. cancer, did they yes. call you? Yeah, they called me. I was driving. Uh-huh. I was driving. Oh my god! Lunch, picking up lunch for work. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, I was on the phone with. I think I was on the phone with my boyfriend at the time, and I got the call on the other line. So I told him, "This is the doctor. I call. I'll yeah. call you back." Because I knew I was waiting for the results. Because I, matter of fact, I called earlier that day, and I was just like, "You know, can somebody call me? Like, just let me know." Right. Yeah. And then yeah, he called me back. So how long was that between the biopsy and the call? How many days was that approximately? Because it was a Thursday. So I probably had the biopsy like Monday or Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. And and, and going from the um, radi- you know, radiation person, you know, doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The radiologist. Like you'll have, the radiologist mm-hmm. was saying that, you know, you'll have the results in a couple of days. So I'm just waiting. You yeah. know, like somebody the longest will call days you. of your life. Yeah. Not only that, and it, and also, you know, like because I am connected, you know, technology is just like mm-hmm. usually if there's nothing to worry about, your results are on the um, chart real quick, but they never appear. Right. So yeah. I'm waiting for the call. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and so you were by yourself in the car. I was by myself in the car. Did you pull over? Well, it was, that's funny you say that because I had arrived to picking up my lunch. Oh, good. Okay. So. Cause I would crash the car. <laughs> right. So I just, you know, parked, got my food, got back in the car, call. I forgot who I called first. It was either my sister or my boyfriend, one of the two. And I told them, but I did call them back to back. Like I called yeah. one and then called the other and let them know. I just went back to work. Like what? nothing. I went back to work um start googling things you know yeah Yeah. I went back to work you went back to work that's like the ultimate get out of work card (laughs) I went back to work oh wow and well you know what I think that really speaks to the level of shock that I think yeah even if they tell you I mean, and I don't know if, if they did this to you, but at my ultrasound appointment, even though every doctor before that was like, it's probably just a cyst, it's probably just a cyst. Mm-hmm. All my friends were like, it's probably just a cyst. And then the doctor at the ultrasound was like, I'm 90% sure you have cancer. And that was like, what? So I think that um, even though I knew that that call I was going to get was going to, I knew what they were going to say. Yeah, You're just never ready. You're never ready. And that's the yeah. thing you say that reflecting at your ultrasound, because I remember getting my biopsy and the, um, you know, radiologist asked, he's just like, does cancer run in your family? Like just doing mm. the biopsy. And it didn't like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> and I was just like, at that time, I was just like, no, because I didn't know that, you know, mm-hmm. about breast cancer being in my family till later. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, but reflecting back, I was just like, so she probably knew then, but it's crazy because when I got the ultrasound, uh, um, the ultrasound, the different radiologists was like, it's suspicious, but I wouldn't worry about it. Like, it's no rush. So really? luckily for me, I decided to, but they said I needed a biopsy, but they was like, it's no rush. But luckily for me, I yeah. treat, treated it with urgency. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, um, <clears throat> I mean, especially if it was triple negative, 
is asking. And what kind of surgery did you decide to do? So I decided a lumpectomy. Mm-hmm. And the reason I decided that we is because I was just like, you know, first of all, I didn't run in my family, but I decided that because I know it could come back even if you remove your breasts. So I was just like, yeah. if it's just this one lump, mm-hmm. you know, with no, mm-hmm. you know, lymph nodes, no nothing, like just remove that, you know. They didn't take any lymph nodes? They did. They took okay. lymph nodes okay. for the pathology, but, yeah. you know, um, and I still had to do all the other treatments too. So I was just like, let's just. Right. To, to know, kind it. of preserve. So I think to some women, it's, it's important to preserve for the breast. And just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the terminology, a lumpectomy is basically a little bit less invasive than a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take just the tumor, but they also take healthy tissue around the tumor. So they mm-hmm. what, they want to get what they call clear margins. Um, a mastectomy is where they just take all of the breast tissue. So a lot of women, especially in early stage, I think they give you that option. If your tumor's not that big mm-hmm. um, and some women that really means a lot to them, because when you do take the whole breast, you know, you lose sensation. Um, mm-hmm. It can be more traumatic to mm-hmm. not have that um, breast form there. Uh, but, you know, there's, yeah, there's negatives and positives, I think, to each, each mm-hmm. option. Um, so when, you, so you have the lumpectomy and then what happened next? So I had the lumpectomy and it was so funny. I had the lumpectomy. I just laughed at myself because it was only like an hour and a half procedure. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, it was outpatient. I had procedure. Mm-hmm. I did not need any pants afterwards. Like they were amazed. They gave me pain and I didn't need not a one. So I was just wow. like, okay, so I could go back to work in the doctor. It was just like, <laughs> no, you're off for the week. I'm like, I'm off for the week. Like, why? I feel fine. You need to be off for the week. And then I told my job, I was just like, but I could work there. So it's like, if the doctor says you need to be off, you need to be off. So Man. I was just off yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like, how much time can I get off? <laughs> Right. And it's just because when I got my lumpectomy, so the only people that knew about my cancer at the time was my boyfriend, my sister, my sister, and my brother. I didn't tell nobody else. Oh, wow. So you wanted to be Um, really private about it? I was very private. And because my mom just went through an ordeal. So I just wanted to wait till after the surgery to give the big picture. So I told my parents in my household. And my daughter, I was having the surgery the day before. I was just like, I'm having outpatient surgery tomorrow. Don't worry. It's an hour and a half. You know, I just Uh made it real light. Um, Uh And then, because my surgery was like on the Thursday. Uh And how do you, do you, are you happy that you did it that way? Do you feel like it lessened your anxiety to not have to deal with their anxiety? I think that number one, yes. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I just wanted to get a clear picture. Because at that okay, point, yes. it still was some unknowns. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, I, felt, sure. I knew I was going to be fine. But it's just like after the surgery, you know, they do the um, pathology, of, yeah. you know, your lymph nodes and stuff around it. So, you know, yeah, I wanted to, to see if make it sure spread. everything was, yeah, make sure mm-hmm. everything was successful first. And like I yeah. said, my mom had just went through a, a scare, a death mm-hmm. scare. Um, and, but the mm-hmm. thing about that is like when it, the doctor said she was going to be okay. I knew I was going to be okay, but because we just got out 2016 with something else. Um, oh my gosh. I, I just know, wanted right? to, 
yeah, exactly. I just wanted to, I know in so many ways, um, <laughs> I just thought about uh, November, but, uh, <laughs> 2016. but, um, so I just wanted to get a full picture and, you know, didn't want to mm-hmm. boredom or worry folks. Yeah. Okay. And then, so after you had the surgery, how long was it before? Well, so how was it that they decided that you were going to need to do the chemo or did they, was that something that you opted in for? So after I had my surgery, I went, um, they had a, um, a full care team and they looked, so that's when they had the, um, surgeon, you know, the radio the oncologist surgeon and their radio, the radiology oncologist, and I'm butchering all these things. And then also sister oncologist that the met the chemical oncologist. So uh-huh. they looked at my whole case and they said, they suggested like they, they said that I was cured cancer free, um, the day of my surgery, but wow. they, yeah, they said I was cancer free the day of my surgery, but they told me that because of the type of cancer it is, because mm-hmm. it is triple negative and how aggressive it is, they suggested that I get um, chemo and radiation. So mm-hmm. they suggested that I get the least amount of rounds of chemo and radiation just to clear from top to bottom. Just as a, they said, it's like insurance. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And yeah. so how long were you in chemo? So I was in chemo starting in June through October. So I had six rounds and I went once every three weeks, mm-hmm. once every three weeks for six. And then, so no, I think that ended in September. Yeah. That ended in September. I know you, I remember reading your story, um, that piece you wrote and you said that you cried like a baby the day that you lost your hair. So was that, um, in that experience, you know, what did it, I think another thing people don't realize if you've never been through it is like, you know, chemo can be kind of cumulative. Like a lot of people have their first session and they feel okay. And it's not until a few sessions in that you start to have that like movie Mm -hmm. experience where you've got your head in the toilet and you're losing your hair. And, um, you know, how was that for you? Was it something, was it similar so it wasn't as bad. Like, um, I got stuff early. Like, I mean, I didn't do all I wanted to do. They was like, work out, try to be as normal as possible. You know, typical, mm-hmm. different typical life. I don't like that word normal, but as typical as possible. <laughs> and um, so when I lost my hair, it was right before I was about to get the second treatment. Now my brain is foggy, which is another side effect sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, of chemo, but side effect and plus I'm in my 40s so but whatever <laughs> um um but my hair is just falling off I just remember combing and it was just falling out in globs so oh, wow. yeah so I had my I called my sister who lives around the corner just to shave it off yeah so that was a shocker because I had a whole bunch of hair and then I did have really bad constipation I give you all these meds to you know for the side effects but then the medicine always had <laughs> other side effects so I remember the yeah. first one having like horrible, I mean, it was horrible. But after yeah. that, I just like kept ginger. But otherwise, other than that, I, um, nauseous, I just kept ginger. Um, so I wasn't in a toilet a lot like that. I didn't do that, mm-hmm. all of that. So you did um, like a ginger tea for nausea or something? Ginger tea and also, it's just the ginger root and just cut it and chew on it. Oh, wow. 
I like ginger help. anyway. Yeah. I love ginger too. And ginger is great for nausea, but you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was, I'm amazed that sometimes if it's really intensive nausea, you're just like ginger. What do you think you're trying yep. to do? But like if that works, that's ne- great. Have it cut up in next to my bed. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, but also you forget about that nasty taste in chemo. That taste in mm-hmm. your mouth, it tastes like metal. Metallic. So, yeah, I've heard oh that before. Gosh. And you can't eat. So it's like, because I went every three weeks, mm-hmm. um, it was just like um, the first two, you know, first two weeks, it'll be there. But the last week I got like a break so I could mm-hmm. taste stuff. And then in the mm-hmm. beginning, the first two weeks and then the last, you know, so that's how it worked. And with you, I mean, it's an interesting, well, I think it's, a common misconception too, that when you go through chemotherapy, that you're going to become like sickly thin. And I think that especially for women who are getting treated for breast cancer, it's actually really common to gain weight. Mm-hmm. And those steroids that they, they gave you steroids to kind of bolster your immune system because mm-hmm. you're immunocompromised and that can really make women gain weight. Did you notice fluctuations in that way? Or so I actually lost weight. I lost mm-hmm. a lot of weight, but I, it wasn't sickly, but I just lost weight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think I mainly lost weight is because of, I changed my eating because of that met, the metallic taste in yeah. my mouth. You know, I didn't. Um, and I think also it suppressed my appetite um, yeah. as, as well. Or when I ate, I ate not as much. And then I went through a lot of my chemo in the summer. So I would drink smoothies and, and make smoothies and stuff. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And then you had to do, um, you had to do radiation after that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And radiation, I started a month after I finished chemo. It was easy to be honest. Yeah. Like, um, and it's funny because when you're dealing with the radiation tech, they were so cool. They just like, the breast is the easiest spot to get radiation. Cause you know, so many other parts of the body is tender. So uh-huh. I didn't have like no burns or anything like they gave oh, me green. That's good. I gave my cream away to other folks that need it. Like I didn't really like, I, I have very little side effects. Like even all my team was just like, like you're doing amazingly well. Uh-huh. Awesome. You know? yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, yeah. A lot of people say like, it, it feels like a sunburn, like a pretty mm-hmm. intensive sunburn. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. And I, you know, another thing I wanted to touch on that you've, you've mentioned in, in, writing pieces you've done about this was how were you at Cedar sinai was it oh uh, UCLA UCLA right and you I know you mentioned the experience of not seeing anybody that looked like you um you know and and I, w- I would love to kind of talk about you know the role of race in cancer um you know talk about how you taught, you brought up, or you wanted to discuss the determinants of the survival mm-hmm. gap. And, um, yeah, I would love to kind of discuss that a little bit. And isn't the statistic that breast breast cancer is much more likely to kill an African-American woman than it is a, a Caucasian woman. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you want to talk about that or yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I worked in community organizing for like 12, 13 years and, you know, grew up in South LA, you know, live in Inglewood right outside of South LA. And then we used to, you know, look at the um, demographics or the geographical of what we have. Like we have no hospitals, we have no medical centers, the hospital, we have our trauma centers are are horrible or 
you know, to get to a trauma center is like far. So mm-hmm. it's just like a lot of these places are impacted. And, you know, trauma centers are pretty much reactive instead of proactive. So, you know, mm-hmm. I will say like for in our areas, it's not a lot of um, education, a lot of not a, enough preventative, you know, and not a support. And then also, you know, we live in a food desert and, you know, your food mm-hmm. deserts like, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, unhealthy processed fast food and even going grocery shopping we don't get the same kind of food here as we do um you know in affluent areas or privileged areas and then also Mm -hmm. just thinking about like parks and Mm -hmm. and pollution and then also I live in a flight that the flight path so Mm -hmm. thinking about all that chemical you know yeah absolutely you know, so just thinking about that and South LA is pretty much under a flight path. And are you just mm-hmm. think about all these other um, being dumpsters or fracking and all those things that could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have those things, you know, but we don't have access. So in me going to a medical, like at least I'm privileged because I had a job that had <laughs> good medical benefits and I had a car and I had mm-hmm. a job that would let me go and did mm-hmm. not dock me for my time or my pay. I still worked, but, you know, it was mm-hmm. very supportive of my, my whole healing. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But just thinking about how many folks don't have that, mm-hmm. even if they have access, like they can't go or they don't have the time off. Like just thinking about all those things that we battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you know a lot of African-American women that have been diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer? Um, personally, not that I could think of, Mm -hmm. but I do know, like, you know, some of my mom's friends when I was little, was Mm -hmm. younger past, or, you know, other family members that passed from other types of cancers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a lot of my research came from when I was in school, I just looked it up, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just also remembering, like, when I got my surgery, they asked if I want to be part of a study, and I looked up Mm -hmm. the um, research before. And I was just like, yes, I do. Because if it could help, mm-hmm. you know, save yeah. a life, definitely I want to do It's because there's not enough research on um, Black women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what, like, what do you think, this might be a big question to ask, but I mean, what do you think needs to change to kind of help bridge that gap? the pharmacist the whole medical system the pharmaceutical system period like Mm -hmm. you know you just think about like the areas like UCLA Cedar Sinai like the those are prominent hospitals in LA but think of where they're placed right it's like no prominent hospital um in um you know impoverished or you know oppressed communities you ought to go all there and then you know traffic is crazy too and then the expense like you know what I'm saying like everybody's so expensive the everybody like luckily I had good insurance which you don't know if it's good or bad until you go and you (laughs) like approved or denied like you don't know you know and you at the will of all these other systems and you're a number Mm -hmm. so it's just like if people like humanize the situation more mm-hmm. you know like every human instead of like making it about cost I think that will change tremendously and that will create access um right. create more because it's more expensive to be reactive and proactive so if we had oh for sure yeah more you preventative know, care yes mm-hmm. it'll be cheaper mm-hmm. and like not so hurtful or 
not so scary. Like, you know, you could get get out of it because even after you diagnose and go through it, you still have to do life changes. Yeah. And well, I'm curious too, because I think that, um, you know, one of the things that they, I I remember listening to a talk when I was diagnosed and how they basically it's, it's an awakening that any person diagnosed with cancer, you realize that you are not invincible, Mm. maybe for in the most profound way, (laughs) especially if you're diagnosed at a young age. Um, I can't remember the term. It was something, it was really powerful, but, um, you know, I think, I mean, a big part of what I'm trying to do is discuss like preventative measures and, and just how to keep your body in balance. Cause Mm -hmm. ultimately cancer, you know, we can't, blame ourselves for getting cancer, but something went out of balance. Something happened. Exactly. And um it's inflammation. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Inflammation. So and it's it's different for everybody. Like and the hard thing too is that I don't know if you'll ever know we'll ever know what caused our cancer. I mean, do you do you ever sit, did you ever go down that mental rabbit hole of like what caused this and take an inventory of your life? Yeah. And I could say, I think, I think that I was, um, I was on birth control a lot of my life, mm-hmm. birth control a lot of my life. Matter of fact, when I got diagnosed, I had an IUD as soon mm-hmm. as it, I've got it taken out the next day, I told my, um, um, OBGYN, I need to come in. I got, you know, take it out. And, you know, they was just like, right. You don't want nothing feeding it, but you know, I didn't mm-hmm. went from birth control pills <laughs> to IUD to the depot. Like I had on and off probably since after I had my daughter at 19 on and off birth mm-hmm. control, like up until being diagnosed. So yeah. I can attribute, you know, that to it. Right. I guess if you're triple, well, triple negative. So does it, if you're triple negative, is that a hormonally driven cancer? It's not hormonally okay. driven, but yeah. you know, they say it's disappeared, but I, I'm like yeah. foreign things being in your body for, oh, for sure. an acute amount of time, you know, and just if you are out of balance hormonally, um, which I don't think there's enough education about hormonal birth control and how it affects your body and what's happening. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I don't judge anybody who uses hormonal birth control, but it is, it, it has an effect and it's really pushed on us as a mm-hmm. sort of a society or by our OBGYN, especially if you have a child young, you know, they, they almost like don't let you leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Mm -hmm. office. If you, if you, I remember going to Planned Parenthood as a much younger woman and they were Mm -hmm. like, you have to either leave with this huge bag of condoms or choose one of these forms of birth control. And, um, you know, that's not even condoms are not natural, you know? Sure. Yeah. So there's, you know, I think that's really interesting that just instinctually you knew, you know, who knows what, if you kept that in, maybe, you know, who knows what was going on, but I think that trusting your gut mm-hmm. is really important. Um, and you so know, so much so that I tell my daughter not to use it, and she yeah. hasn't. And she used to have painful cycles, and that's what they throw on women that have painful cycles, oh, like do sure. that. And she just deals with it now because I'm like, you, mm-hmm. you know, don't want to put nothing foreign mm-hmm. in your body. Yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, you you have to look at the root cause, which mm-hmm. that's. 
I think birth control is unfortunately for some women, if you're having some really painful, yeah. abnormal periods, like it is a, a solution, but it's not treating the root cause. So if you go off of it, I know a lot of women who've had really intensive symptoms come back mm-hmm. when they went off of it. And, um, yeah. And, and with hormonal balance, it's, it's complicated. That's a hard thing. It's like, well, would you rather take this pill that's going to kind of stop the issue or stop the symptoms of the issue? Or would you rather do this major overhaul of your life? And, you know, for a lot of people, that's a pretty easy answer, but there are options. That's just what I want to let people know. Um, and I know you mentioned, you've mentioned before in your story or my knowledge of your story about what a big role the support of your loved ones and community played in your healing. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'd love you to kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, so, cause one thing, so I, I didn't come out public cause you know, now it's all this social media and everybody posts everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, in my community, I chose to tell the folks that would know, even if there wasn't a social media, by just mm-hmm. picking up the phone, but you know, it's just, you know, them caring for me, treating me with dignity, mm-hmm. treating me like it's not the end of the world. Like just, you know, like, like nothing has changed. That's what I, pre- I appreciate it, you know, okay. but, but yet caring, like, you know, are you yeah. needing anything? Are you, you know, are you okay? Um, you know, so I think that was um, important. Just letting me be, you know, so so do you feel, so I think it's really important to help educate people a little bit too, of like what to say to somebody in that position, because people have such good intentions, but a lot mm. of people say things yeah. that they don't realize are the worst thing to say. And, um, I'm just curious, like, could you recall something that somebody said to you that was like, I think you just said kind of letting you be asking if you needed anything. So was that, when you say that, do you mean that they weren't like overwhelming you with their desire to help you? Yes, I would say they wasn't overwhelming me and I felt seen and heard. And that's probably one of the main reasons why I didn't go public because every, you know, these are the things people say, oh, well, I know somebody that had it and they didn't, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. I didn't want to hear none of that because in the back of your mind, you already know somebody but you don't want to hear it because the thing right. is what you hear externally could, you know, become internalized and then right. it adds to your worry and stuff. So, you know, you have to control what you hear, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And that was my thing, you know? Yeah. So I made sure that I have folks like even some of one of my best friends, I didn't tell to after I was over it because I knew that she would, in a way, make it about her in a sense and like mm-hmm. be dramatic and sad about it. And I didn't need that at the time. Mm-hmm. I just needed mm-hmm. positive. I listened to, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. So I listened to a lot of church, did a lot of prayer because mm-hmm. even though I had a community, they couldn't be there all the time because people have lives. So, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to go in prayer and deep meditation, which another, mm-hmm. you know, my spiritual community, you know, mm-hmm. but I know that if I needed to call, you know, Mm-hmm. folks are there my sister my mom I I live with my family so mm-hmm. I'm that's another privilege that I have but no everybody was supportive and like treated me with the same dignity and just mm-hmm. actually heard and listened and I think that was important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was yeah you mentioned a big one that 
I think it's just so easy because they're kind of like processing their feelings out loud, but mm-hmm. that's such a common one that um, people say, oh, I knew, oh, I had an aunt and she died or, <laughs> or, oh, I had an aunt and she did this and like, you know, this whatever method. And, you know, it's, it's really, it can be really hard to process other people's reactions when you're barely capable of processing your own. And especially in a situation like you, when everything's happening so quickly, you know, you're making these major life decisions. Do I want them to take the breast? Um, Will it give me anxiety to keep that tissue? You know, do I go forth with this chemotherapy, even though they say, maybe I don't have to have it. Like there are these huge decisions that you have to make on like, almost like it it feels almost like you're making them in an instant because Mm -hmm. you just don't have a lot of time, especially when it's an aggressive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then people saying, I did hear somebody say, you did chemo. You said, why didn't you do natural? See, and that's why I wasn't public. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, everybody yeah. want to tell you what Judging. they think is best for you. You know, like oh, yeah. was that, if you do that route, that's fine. But what I decide is what I, I decide, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But also on the other side of that is like doing chemo. They don't tell you all the side effects <laughs> that are lifelong. Right. Okay. Either. So, so what do you feel like they don't, they didn't tell you about that? You're like, oh, huh. I wish I knew that. This damn, um, premature menopause. Oh, oh, did, were you, did you get forced into like early menopause? Yes. So my, which is very common. Mm -hmm. Yes. My ovary shut, shut down. Luckily Mm -hmm. I didn't want any, any more kids. Thank God. But Mm -hmm. I mean, just thinking about all the folks that, you know, want to have, you know, yeah. children and, you know, have to, you, you know, feel that they have to do it. But also mm-hmm. like, um, I had like bad hot flashes doing, cause it shut down my ovaries mm-hmm. during chemo, like mm-hmm. shut down my ovaries do, during, and then after I got out my system, then I had my cycle again, but mm-hmm. premature menopause for sure. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, I didn't know I was going to be having hot flashes. Uh-huh. Um, my bones, you know, like or crack on stuff they're fine now but every Uh now and then like a little bone ache um because of my surgery I can't use my left arm the same like I can't stretch it all the way because they pulled out my auxiliary left lymph nodes Uh um I can't get my blood pressure taken there they can't take my blood out of there all of that um or I could get lymphedema Mm -hmm. um and they didn't no. have you do physical therapy because I had to do a lot of physical therapy on that, this arm. And you, um, you they, can probably get that range of motion back. You I know I got it because I used okay, to okay. You know, do it. I don't think I need it that bad because I could do, yeah. you know, I'm fine with it. But, you know, it's just those things and neuropathy. Yeah. And then yeah. my hair didn't grow back the same. Oh, really? What, what happened? I have a couple, I have a couple bald spots, like uh-huh. I had a head uh-huh. full of hair, but some of the spots didn't fill in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and my eyebrows they didn't come back either really did yeah, you get microbladed because I see I see them <laughs> no well, I try we're to on video mic. just F- what yeah we can see <laughs> each other but you guys can't see us so um, no, I, I tried to get a microblade microblading <laughs> I tried to get a microblade but the thing is because of my hot flashes yeah um I would sweat all the time so they wouldn't stay oh my gosh oh no so I, 
I put them you on. You're erasing your microbladed eye rub. Okay. <laughs> oh. And had an allergic reaction. Um, oh, no. And I, tried, and I tried twice. So now I put on my eyebrows. So uh-huh. I know um, Fenty and Urban Decay love me because I buy a lot of eyebrow pencils. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like single-handedly supporting. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, another reason why I wanted to bring you on it and why I want to highlight um, some breast cancer survivors is because, you know, I'm very passionate about the fact that cancer can be a crossroads for people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it is like we talked about before, sometimes the first time in your life when you realize like, okay, I am not invincible and you're motivated to kind of listen to your body a little bit more. Um, and you might be motivated to change other things in your life. So I know that you are currently, um, a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. And, um, so was that change in your career related to your cancer diagnosis in any way? No, I think it changed my focus. So Mm-hmm. That's another thing. So when I got diagnosed with cancer, I was supposed to start um, grad school that August, but I had to push it back because uh-huh. of my diagnosis and the treatment. For um, and to be a, like, a psychotherapist? A th- yeah, because okay. I was going to be a therapist, but I think what it did, uh-huh. it has done is changed my focus. Mm-hmm. So I added like chronic illness, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and things of, of that nature. And as I went through school, you know, reading about the determinants and food deserts and all that, you know, that's where, mm-hmm. you know, it went um, closer to. So yeah, it did change that. Um, mm-hmm. It did change the course in that way. And then also going through like the beginning of treatment, I had to take a psychological evaluation, which mm-hmm. was a therapist. So I was just like, oh, they, you know, do that, you know, before so, you went through chemo, they had a psychological evaluation. Yeah. Before I went oh, through chemo. That's interesting. Yep. Not not a big one, but it was like a therapist came, asked some questions, mm-hmm. saw and asked if I needed support groups or mm-hmm. anything. And they mm-hmm. were just like, you seem fine where you don't need therapy. But yeah, I took a quick evaluation for that. And did you join any support groups? No. No. Okay. No. And, um, but I think you, you said that you might be starting a support group potentially. Yes. I think I'm thinking probably sometime like next spring or uh, summer. Um, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, as a breast cancer survivor, I was just like, I was kind of apprehensive of mm-hmm. um, starting a group um, because mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be too triggering because um, right. you get survivor's remorse, you know, you know, I'm a solutions focused kind of person. <laughs> so it's just like when you can't help folks and then, you know, my journey. So I just didn't want to have any triggers, but mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about refocusing to support survivors because I think that's often a lost um, mm-hmm. population. You know, like mm-hmm. we yeah. have issues beyond surviving as well. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more because basically, like you have you have this team behind you throughout your treatment, and you know, like once you finish treatment, you're just like the bird that's thrown out of the nest. And it's like, all right, come back in six months, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's no real guidance really. I mean, my, I did a lot of research, but my oncologist was very kind of hands off and, um, mm-hmm. you know, talked about like an anti-inflammatory diet, which I was already doing, but you know, the, um, I, I, yeah, I think that's something I'm also super passionate about is just like, how do we 
support people after your treatment is over, because there's a whole new set of things. Like, just like you talked about these lingering effects, there's the anxiety. So, you know, I'm curious to know, do you, do you have fear of recurrence? All the time. Like, you don't, (laughs) I do a breast exam every day in the shower. Wow. Every day. Oh my gosh. You're so good. (laughs) <laughs> and then, I mean, cause it's just like, that's how I found it. So it's just like that yeah. muscle memory, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, like every new pain or something, you'd be like, is that another cancer? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like, or even in other people, like close family and stuff, <laughs> when they say they go into the doctor, they have an issue. I'll be like, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I guess you have to, it, it becomes like a, a, potential reality in your world. And mm-hmm. it, it can be a potential reality, not just for you, but the people that you care about. Um, yeah, it's, I, I actually, I didn't realize that, but I, I get that too. Um, mm-hmm. like you, like I'm hypervigilant. Yes. Yes. Um, hmm. and, uh, and do you, so do you work with patients right now that are breast cancer patients or survivors? No, I do not. Not right mm-hmm. now. And I think it's part of the thing is like in my profile, I don't name I'm a breast cancer survivor. I just name chronic illness um, or mm-hmm. chronic pain. Um, I think that's going to shift once I, you know, put my website together because I only have profiles on like, you know, mm-hmm. psychology today and stuff. But I think now mm-hmm. that I'm out with my story, that might change and I might be kind of more purposeful in that. I just wanted to have my own processes together before I could, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah. You have to kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned too, that you're trained in, uh, is it gestalt? Is that how you say gestalt? Yes. Yeah. What gestalt. is, yeah. What is that? I'm, I've heard that before. Yeah. So it's like a relational therapy, you know, it's talk therapy, but it's relational. So, you know, a lot of times you're not seeing or heard, heard or, a lot of times, you know, you have CVT, but it's relation, relational. So it's like mm-hmm. the therapist giving some of themselves. So, you know, the connection, the connection ah. to your um, client, you know, so folks could know that they're not alone. They're not isolated. It's like a experience mm. that we're both having in the room. It's just not, yeah, it's about my client, but we're both having this experience together and we're doing this journey together. So it's okay. not like, it's just like an interview process. It's like a conversation we're having so we could do this healing journey together. And as you are healing, I'm learning too. So it's not yeah. a one way thick street. So that's pretty much what, what it is. Oh, that's so interesting because yeah, I think in all the, a lot of the therapists that I've had, they don't share a lot about them. So I think that's really that classical cognitive behavioral talk mm-hmm. therapy. So Gestalt, oh, I didn't realize that. So Gestalt is where you actually are, you do share some of your own personal, mm-hmm. huh, that's interesting. That it, I, yeah. You share some of it, but it's like a resonance, a lot of validation, you mm-hmm. know, is 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 it's creative in a sense, like, you know, using music or using strengths of, the clients to help support their healing because a lot of times we have all these resources that we don't even know they're resources for us because mm-hmm. we just forced to use them but it's just like tapping into the person's individual like creating an interdependence like mm-hmm. you know um so pretty much yeah that's pretty much just a relational just knowing that you're not alone in this like we are mm-hmm. having human experiences and 
you know, by us being in a room, you know, that's another experience that we carry throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. And you're also trained in trauma resilience models. What is that? So that's pretty much like a bottom up therapy. So pretty much going through the body, like, you know, healing through the body, like wondering, like going with your gut. We always know going with your gut, but what does that mean? You might be um, having a headache. You might be having uh, anxiety and you might notice you shake. So making meaning of that and why and going into the intrinsic memory to, you know, address those things. Like you might like, not able able be able to turn this way all the time, but it's probably a traumatic experience you had and don't even realize that you don't do that. So it's just like dealing with your trauma through the body and and dealing with that. And it's just like, you know, realigning, getting you back online, Mm -hmm. um, getting you back online and be your whole self Mm -hmm. and and dealing with it that way. uh Uh-huh. That's amazing. And I know that you, a big point in of focus in your practice is working with um, people of color. And um, yeah, can you talk about sort of the reasoning, like what you, why you feel so passionately about that and, and how that's individual in your practice? It's individual to me because, you know, as a black woman, you know, going to therapy is taboo, always has been, you know, mm-hmm. like you don't tell people your business and stuff like that. But also it's taboo because this has mainly been a white thing, to be honest. It's been a white, mm-hmm. white thing. And then, you know, like from all the oppression, oppression we have suffered because of that, it's just like we don't tell folks our business. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not only a psychotherapist, but I'm a social worker. And the first thing people think about social work is taking people kids. But it's broader than that. It's like mm-hmm. bringing equity and bringing accessibility. And that's why I wanted to focus on BIPOC folks, because Mm-hmm. You know, we want to change the narrative of what, how therapy could be healing and mm-hmm. also, you know, making it accessible and affordable, you know, mm-hmm. so folks, so they could be seen or heard and just changing that narrative and knowing that that's a part of mm-hmm. the holistic healing is like being seen and heard through therapy and by somebody that looks like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, is there like a specific niche of of people that you feel like you're working with right now? Like it, I think have, you've mentioned, is it younger? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Younger so a lot of, yeah, a lot of transitional age youth, mm-hmm. um, a couple young ones, you know, but I could say all of my um, clients of are folks of color. And then mm-hmm. a lot of them um, dealing with issues at work and racism mm-hmm. and things of, of that nature. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. all of them are BIPOC folks and a lot of transitional age youth this is dealing with anxieties and depressions mm-hmm. and intergenerational trauma which they don't realize but a lot of intergenerational mm. trauma so when you say transitional do you mean like going from like like high school to adulthood or what yeah. does that mean yeah uh-huh. yeah between okay. the ages of 18 to 24 like high school okay. to adulthood like trying to mm-hmm. figure it out you know what I mean Mm-hmm. And, for sure. And then, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a hard time. Yeah. There's a lot of figuring out to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you were to sort of summarize what you think your cancer experience taught you, what would you say? That's a good question. I know. Sorry. I popped that one on you. Didn't send that to you beforehand, but no, no, that's a good, no, that's a good one. Yeah. And I think I have an answer. What it has taught me. And I think I shared this 
after having my first psychology appointment, I was in the car with my boyfriend and my sister. And you know how people always say, why me? Why me? Mm -hmm. But what I said to myself is, why not me? Why not me? Like I could be a game changer. I could be a motivator. Like when you change that Mm -hmm. narrative, when you change that language, I think it's a different motivating factor. You know, it's just like, and my oncologist said, you're doing well because of your attitude. So when you change the language, it helps change your attitude. And I think that's what it has done for me. Like, you know, give me more patience with folks. Um, probably, I'm naturally empathetic, but probably differently empathetic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, um, sure. More attuned to my body. Um, mm-hmm. and more conscious of what I put in through my mouth and what I hear. <laughs> mm, yes. Like your environment, not only, you know, toxins wise, physical toxins, but like emotional, mental toxins. Yes. 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 Cause it always on you. It always yeah. on you. Yeah, for sure. That's, I love that. So yeah, I mean, I think we can wrap it up. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, and, you know, so in terms of where our audience can find more of you, Carrie's got this great Instagram called self underscore care, K-E-R underscore therapy, which I love that handle. And she posts all kinds of good uh, infographics and just tidbits of wisdom, um, really positive. So go follow Carrie over there. And um, also you said you have a profile on psychology today. Yes. uh, So is that under Carrie Anderson MSW? Yes. Yes. Okay. And it's K-E-R-I. A-N-D-E-R-S. So and I'll put links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, do you have any last last words of wisdom before we wrap it up here? First of all, I want to say thank you. This was like a pleasure. Like I love have I could have this. If you don't have anybody to talk to or anything, write, you know, listen to music mm. and you know, and find your community. And I know it might be hard, but find that one person that could it can make a difference. Like meditate, mm-hmm. like you know, Mm -hmm. do what you need to do and listen to podcasts like this, because I think, you know, when you find someone that could relate to you is Mm -hmm. that community is healing in itself to hear your story. Yeah. And somebody else's story. That's what, that's what I hope we can help do. Um, awesome. Well, I thank you so much. (laughs) I thank you. Yeah. And, uh, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up well okay okay that was our episode to today again go ahead and check the show notes to find carrie uh self underscore care underscore therapy and uh, her psychology today profile is in the show notes and come find me anytime over at social media junie b well or uh, junie boucher ntp on facebook i would love to hear from you please share subscribe and review the podcast so that we can get this to more people and i hope you have a wonderful week i'm going to talk to you real soon and as always i am wishing you well (laughs) bye-bye now